Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Let's continue our reading, verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast. Now, these are the, these are the people that don't live here in Jerusalem. Every year, perhaps a million people, they estimate, would come from all over the world to celebrate Passover. These are Jews from all, Hellenistic Jews that lived in Greece and other places, but they had to come to Passover. That was a requirement of them. So they would come, and this city was teeming with people. It was overflowing with people. And so here is this great multitude that had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, which means save now, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the king of Israel, as he goes by on his donkey. They recognize him in this moment as Messiah, but not really. They don't don't get the big picture here. He's their Messiah that they've dreamed up. And that's why they're celebrating. They're not celebrating Jesus for who he is, but rather who they want him to be. Verse 14, then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, this is written in Zechariah 9.9, prophesied uh, over 600 years before this, uh, when Zechariah would write this, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, and they're watching this all happen. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Verse 17, Therefore the people who were with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met with him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The exact opposite of what they they wanted to kill him. They wanted to convict him. They didn't want him out there, you know, being Messiah and telling them that the king has come. They would lose their power, their influence. And that wasn't going to happen if they could make it. Can you imagine being a visitor, though, from out of town and coming in to the Passover, celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem, and getting to witness one of the greatest events prophesied over 600 years previously to this? It's the greatest event in all of human history. The Jews believed that they were viewing their Messiah's arrival and that he would now conquer and overthrow the Roman occupation that had been going on for just over 300 years now. They believed that's what Messiah, this is the Messiah they wanted. That's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to, to, for, as a political solution. He came to do away with sin, something far more important. The Roman occupiers must have laughed that day. Jesus, save us, King of Kings. And they're laughing. That's a king. He's dressed like that. He's riding on a donkey. Their king rides on a donkey. Isn't this funny? See, a Roman conqueror, a general coming back from a great war would never, it would have never occurred to him to ride a donkey. How low is that? 
No, he'd be riding a white charger, a stallion, ornate, you know, gold and silver all over. He'd come in large and in charge. Pride, you know, reeking of pride. How sad that the one who flung the stars into heaven, the one who crafted the seas and the mountains, the very person who breathed life into the first man was riding right by them, and they missed the arrival of the greatest person that will ever grace this planet. And not only the Romans missed Jesus, the travelers to the Passover missed him as well. They weren't interested in being saved from their sins. That never occurred to them. They didn't believe he was God. They only saw him as this miracle worker. And they wanted him to be this conquering hero that they had made up. Sometimes we Christians struggle with this a little bit as well. Listen, I can tell you, no politician is going to save us. Not going to happen. Laws will not save us. The most powerful military in the world cannot save us. Only believing in and confessing Jesus as your Lord and Savior will save you both now and in the world to come. While the Passover travelers celebrated and cheered, Jesus knew in their hearts that they weren't with Him. He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was on their minds. What they were looking for was their own Messiah. And these same people that cried out, Lord, save us would be crying out, crucify Him, crucify Him, five days later. Oh, they wanted a Savior. They wanted this general that would be brilliant in war and powerful to defeat Rome. They rejected the Messiah, and they just kept waiting for their own Messiah to come. He would arrive on the scene, let's see, thirty, probably 35, 36 years later, 70 A.D., He would arrive on the scene, a man, a mere mortal, He would gather people. He would say all the things they wanted to say. And he would gather enough men to overthrow the Roman occupiers there in Jerusalem. Of course, there was only, you know, 30, 40, 50 men there. They were like a police force, really. And so they were easy to overthrow and and kill. They defeated them. And then Israel celebrated as if they had just thrown off the Roman yoke, forgetting the 250,000 soldiers in Rome. (laughs) Caesar didn't take kindly to this. And a year later, he marched his army. And they came down from the north, and they came right into Jerusalem, and they taught the world a lesson. This is what happens when you overthrow and you rebel. And boy, did they ever massacre the people. It was brutal. So they missed Jesus, the real Messiah. And as Jesus approached the city, Luke 19 reveals this part of the story, verse 41. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. See, peace can't be found in a politician. It can't be found in a law. It can't be found in a nation. It can't be found anywhere but in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going, I'm here, and you've missed me. you completely missed me. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. And they did. They built a wall around Jerusalem. They didn't want to just conquer Jerusalem. They wanted to punish it severely. No one was allowed to leave. They built a wall around Jerusalem and said, you're dead, every last one of you. 
And they just swept in and devastated the people. They will surround you and close you in on every side. Jesus is prophesying. It happened in 70 AD after he ascended into heaven. And level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Mm. Israel rejected her real king and missed out on the grace and mercy that he was offering to them. Roman soldiers were ordered to kill every last man, woman, and child in Jerusalem to teach the world a lesson. And they did. And Israel would cease to be a nation for over 1900 years. 1948, it became a nation again, also prophesied in Scripture many centuries beforehand. Today, you and I have the opportunity, though, to receive the Messiah and the gift that he's offering to them is still on the table for you and for me. Here's the question. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do? At the end of all time, I don't care. You name any other question. All the other questions pale. They're insignificant, irrelevant. The question that will be most important in all humanity is this. What did you personally do with Jesus? He lived, he died, he was resurrected for your sin and for mine. You can reject him like these travelers kind of just rejected him when they found out he wasn't what they were looking for. Or you can make him your savior. You make him your savior, he'll give you a fresh start and a new beginning right now that continues out into eternity. At the end of time, what you did with Jesus will determine where you'll spend eternity. So choose wisely, my friend. All the marbles are on the table. We're looking at Jesus' four responses to belief. Number one, Mary's belief. Number two, Passover travelers' belief. And response number three, Jesus responds to the Greek seekers' belief. The Greek seekers. Now, these are non-Jews that have come in search of wisdom. The, the Greeks were known for that. They loved to debate and come to understandings and philosophy. I mean, they, they wrote most of the great philosophers were Greek. They were, they were always seeking truth. And so they came to Jerusalem in the Passover. They wanted to look at this religion. And uh, Scripture le- lends to believing that they did this perhaps every year. They just wanted to see what was going on in Jerusalem and what they believed. And after Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus drove out the money changers like he had early on back that we talked about. He does it again, and he drives them out. But this time, this is what he says. He quotes the Old Testament scriptures from both Isaiah and Jeremiah when he makes this declaration in Mark eleven seventeen. Is it not written, he shouts, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Interesting here. Did the Greek visitors hear him say this? If I'm Greek and I'm not Jew, you know, I'm not really uh, that welcome into what the Jews are doing this week. But then to hear Jesus say, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. It includes all people. The Jew, the Greek, the Gentile, it's, it includes everybody. So is that why they wanted to meet with Jesus? Maybe. Let's continue in our passage, verse 20. 
Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Verse 23, But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a, a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. God's voice is like thunder. That's what it sounds like. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. To be lifted up was an acronym in their day for being crucified. Nailed to a cross and then the cross is lifted up. Last thing you wanted in this day was to be lifted up and tortured. Interesting here though, what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. Satan. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Why? Because Jesus is about to conquer death. And that was Satan's final ace. Jesus would defeat death, which would completely make Satan powerless now. He had lost the game. And the people answered him, who had heard him say this, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up, must be crucified. Who is this Son of Man, they're asking. In, in our beliefs, Jesus, we've come to, to, to believe that when Messiah comes, he'll live forever. So why are you saying he's going to be crucified? Then Jesus said to them, verse 35, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Listen, we've already heard Jesus say that he's the light of the world. He says it again here. The next time he says it is right before he returns to heaven. And he turns towards his disciples and he says, now you are the light of the world. 
One of the meta messages of John is that the Savior Messiah has come to gather followers first from the Jew and then from the Gentile. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 tells us. In the original text, we're led to believe that these Greeks regularly attended Passover and were curious about this Jewish faith they've been reading about. They had questions and they wanted to ask them of Jesus. The Bible does not record that Jesus ever talked with these men specifically, but he remained on mission. Remember, he's eight days away from Resurrection Sunday. His response to Philip and Andrew's request is to give a dissertation on the glory of God and the the means of salvation, of course, the cross. Jesus offers up another analogy of redemption right in front of the Greeks to make it perhaps more clear and easier to understand. He he uses the analogy of a seed. But you see, a seed remains dormant, or we might say dead, until it's placed into the soil. And then the soil covers over it, and then it begins to receive nutrients it needs in the water. And what was dormant, becomes alive and it springs forth with his what a, a beautiful plant of whatever you've planted it with and Jesus uses that analogy there can be no harvest without planting no joy without suffering first and being planted in the ground death and fruitful life without death first it can't be Jesus had to die for your sin and for my somebody had to pay for it His father's a righteous judge. He can't just go, well, let's just excuse all this. You've committed all these crimes, but let's just turn, I'll turn my eye away and we'll pretend it. No, that's not God. That's not a righteous judge either. The righteous judge had to rule righteously. And so the only person, the only solution really was Jesus coming down, God's son, taking on our guilt. He went to the cross for every sin you and I have ever committed or ever will commit since Adam, and he went to the cross, and he died. It was his blood that was shed, not ours. And he died on the cross for you and for me. We're all seeds. We all carry the DNA from God. Once, once the Holy Spirit comes in, we surrender our lives to him and say, I want, I want you, God, in my life. I realize I need you. I give you my life. I'm a sinner. Take it. I want what Jesus did on the cross. I want that, that grace and that mercy to apply to me. When you do that, he puts his seed in you. And now you're a child of God. But you know what you got to do now? Now you got to die. Now that doesn't sound real like, you know, everybody would want to get in line for that one, right? But when he puts his seed in you, what what we're talking about is a spiritual death here. It's been getting off his throne where once I ruled and made decisions and ruled in my life, I now get off the throne and I invite Jesus to sit there. Galatians 2.20, my life verse. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified. I've been buried in the ground. I've had the earth put over me. But then Jesus came and he resurrected me just like he re- he's resurrected the majority of people in here for sure. And you have a new life to live, but you're not in charge anymore. The resurrected life is the life submitted to Jesus. You do what you want with my life. 
Jesus, four responses to belief. Response one, Mary's belief. Then we saw Passover travelers, lack of belief. And then number three, we saw the Greek seekers coming to Jesus, wanted to know what he was about. And lastly, response number four, Jesus responds to the rejecting Jews' lack of belief. And these are the, the Jews that have been listening to him, that, that uh, you know, celebrating their Messiah one minute and trying to kill him the next. Let's finish our chapter. Verse 37, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. And here's Isaiah prophesied over 600 years before this. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that was what Isaiah wrote. But therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, and I quote, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory, God's glory, and spoke of him. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Remember, the blind man was kicked out for testifying that Jesus had healed him. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe... I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. You see, the the word is like a two-edged sword. We're told that in Scripture. One side of the sword cuts out the sin in our life and allows us to know salvation and the truth. But the other side convicts those who reject it. And one day they'll stand before Jesus and Jesus will say, you rejected my word. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus had done countless miracles to this point, but they rejected the mountains of evidence. Clearly, this is the Son of God. who Who could do this? Who could raise a dead man after four days back to life? No one but the Son of God. Yet the vast majority of Israel rejected him willfully, closing their eyes. And you do that enough and your heart, your heart gets hardened. Listen, the most dangerous person in all the world is he or she who has heard the gospel and rejected it, who has heard the truth but dismissed it, those who are no longer open to hearing the message of salvation, and those who have hardened their heart against God. They don't want to hear it. The name of Jesus just sends them into crazyville. They don't want to hear it. Woe to this person who does this. And there comes what's been defined as or called a judicial 
blindness. A judicial blindness is, I see this, but I choose to be blind. I don't want it. I don't care what you say. You could have a mountain of evidence the size of Mount Everest. I don't care. I have judicial blindness. The truth is in front of me, but I reject it out of hand. Why? Because if that's true, then I have to surrender my life, and I'm running my life. Isaiah 55, 6 gives us this grave and sober warning about playing with the truth lightly. The prophet cautioned us, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Listen, people, as I say almost weekly, it's too dangerous to walk out of this room right now. If you don't know where you're going, should you die, God forbid, but if you should die, none of us know how long we have to live. We all have an expiration date if Jesus waits. What have you done with Jesus? If you were to die tonight in your sleep, that offer's off the table. If you didn't know Him, if you hadn't accepted, if you hadn't taken that gift that He wants to give, if you haven't believed, received all the things Scripture tells us, if you left it on the table and go, that's not for me, after you die, when a person goes into eternity, there's no changing the fact of the rejection that was made. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word. 